This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to A Game of Two Halves, a sports podcast by The Straits Times. I'm Cezali Abdulaziz and today, as we often do, we're talking football. Is the EPL title race a foregone conclusion? And a bit about our ASEAN neighbours flying high in Asia. Plus, a special dispatch from Melbourne where our assistant sports editor Rohit Brishnath is at the Australian Open. With me today is my sports desk colleague Wang Ming Ming. How are you today, Ming? Okay, good. Uh, had a great time watching football over the weekend. So Ming, first things first, you know, even the most pessimistic of Liverpool fans are now starting to believe that yes, this could be their season, you know, after a 4-3 win uh, over Crystal Palace, which really tested their their metal. Uh, you know, are you a believer? Actually not. Uh, still too early to count the chickens, uh, because it was such a nervous win, uh, giving away cheap goals to Palace. But I mean, Palace uh, re- returned the favour as well by re- uh, giving them cheap goals as well. But overall, it, it was a very, very nervous win for Liverpool. And I mean, b- remember, it's only half the season gone and Liverpool still have to play many, many, many top teams ahead, including uh, revitalised Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you mentioned about, you know, giving away cheap goals. You know, obviously, I think in 2014, was it, uh, you know, it was also Crystal Palace where, you know, they, they let slip a, a 3-0 lead um, yes. and, you know, they drew 3-3. People talk about Steven Gerrard slip against Chelsea, but I think mm. before that was the Crystal Palace game where, where they effectively lost their grip on the, the title race. You know, but this time they, they won without playing exceptionally well. Do you think that shows that this could be different about the, you know, their, their, their title tilt this year? I think in most seasons, I mean, this come of form that Liverpool is coming up with will have guaranteed them the title or at least you know, put them you know, uh, well clear at the top. But they are playing against the Manchester City side, which is like a machine. They are uh, picking up win after win. You know? And with Liverpool, you just get a feeling that they might hit some you know, road bumps along the way. You know? I could see them you know, stumbling against a top team or even against a team fighting against relegation. So it's not going to be a smooth ride until the end. You mentioned road bumps, uh, you know, Milner was sent off. He was obviously the stand-in right-back um, yes. because uh, Alexander-Arnold yeah. is injured. Joe Gomez is also injured. And now suddenly they have no natural right-backs. Is this a problem, you think? Yeah, I think football is strange, isn't it? Um, I mean, Liverpool have three very good right-backs fighting for contention at the beginning of season. Gomez, Alexander-Arnold and as well as Klein. But Klein has gone on loan and both Gomez and uh, uh, Alexander-Arnold are injured. And now Milner is suspended. So it looks like Fabinho might fit in there. But uh, that leaves them short in midfield. Yeah, so uh, it's really a massive juggling act for Klopp at the moment. Yeah. But the squad is still pretty you know, talented, lah, right? I mean, to, to cope with these losses. Uh, there's lots of firepower. They have a great centre-back and a great goalkeeper. But now it's just you know, for the rest of the team to step up to the plate. Yeah. Uh, another player, obviously, who has been delivering you know, over the last season and a half is Mo Salah. You know, he, again, he, he delivered, I think, with two goals against uh, yes. Palace. But uh, you know, again, his, his, another side of his game sort of reared its ugly hit. Right, I mean the, Actually, the dive. Salah yes. doesn't really comes across as a dirty player. I can name his predecessor, which who is much more notorious <laughs> than that. You know, yeah. uh, who is now playing for FC Barcelona. You know? But I think it's more to do with the mentality of the British game. You know, they they are they have a very stand up culture against things they perceive so as cheating. Yes, like, you know, cheating. They, they, they hate the hand of God. You know, they they don't like diving and. I think the other good example we have over the week was in the championship where you know Frank Lampard and his coaching staff caught spies from Leeds United filming them behind the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think because I follow the national football team as well, I've seen this on my travels with the national team. When I was with uh, Radhi Avramovich, we saw the Jordanian backroom staff filming the the Lions from 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 the top of a cliff. You know? mm. 
in the recent Suzuki Cup, although we had a closed-door training session at, in Bacolod City in the Philippines, we could still see people filming from the stands and Fundy was quite livid. Understandably yeah, so, And he yeah. was sending the backroom staff running around the stadium chasing people you know, and getting them locked out. Yeah, mm. but it's a fact of life uh, everywhere around the world. Yeah, yeah and, and aside from Liverpool, I think that the mm. biggest match last weekend was Arsenal-Chelsea, the London derby and, mm. and you know, Arsenal beat uh, Chelsea 2-0. It was the biggest match, but it didn't seem to have that much of a significance. Maybe because Arsenal was more or less out of the title race. Mm. Do, do you see Chelsea now being out of the race as well? It's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, Chelsea started with, with such wonderful football yeah, and yeah, everyone yeah. was praising Sari and uh, Hazard was on fire. Mm. And, and quite out of the sudden, they have lost team. And just like Arsenal, they went through more than 20 games unbeaten and they stumbled for about a month. And now, you know, just by beating Chelsea, uh, everybody's talking about Arsenal being back in contention. There's this ebb and flow, you know, the, um, the yeah. momentum switching hands and we can't deny that Chelsea is in a bad moment and as you can tell from Sari's reaction uh, accusing the players of not mm. of being difficult to motivate it does seem like he has some trouble behind the scenes so so do you think these comments it can go one of two ways you know mm. it will galvanize the players or it's going to turn them against you which one do you think is going to happen you cannot say that Sari's comments were lost in translation because he specifically wanted to speak in Italian so that everything is translated according to what he wants. So he made it very clear that um, the players were not motivated and I think you could see that the team simply wasn't very up for it and Arsenal was simply too fired up and they totally outfought Chelsea which is... If you're a Chelsea fan, you'll be quite sad to see because in, in the past you have characters like John, John Terry dragging the team across the finishing line mm. but it does seem like this Chelsea team doesn't have much stomach for a fight and I can only guess that maybe there's some unhappiness with Sarri's training methods, methods just like what, what they had under Conte, yeah. you know, because under Conte there was so much resentment. Like some, I think when he left, I think Willian was the happiest, and I think he posted some something quite telling on social media. Yeah. Now, if you're enjoying this episode of a game of two halves so far, do subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app, on Google Podcasts, or even on Spotify. Do like it and give us a rating. Now back to the show. You know, over the weekend we also saw some big matches. Um, you know, on the continent, big matches. Uh, mm. You know, I, I I say to us uh, in Southeast Asia here because Vietnam and Thailand played round of 16 uh, matches in the Asian Cup. Obviously, Singapore didn't qualify, but, you know, they are flying the flag for, I guess, for ASEAN. Mm. And, you know, Vietnam sensationally beat Jordan on penalties and, and Thailand led mighty China before losing 2-1. You know, what what do you make of their performances so far in, in you know, Asia's top football tournament? I think there are lessons to be learned for Singapore. It just goes to show that by focusing on youth development and, you know, taking it very, very seriously, it really does pay off because this is the golden generation of Vietnamese who did well at the AFC under-23 championships last year. They finished runner-up. And this is a fantastic crop of Thai youngsters groomed by Kelly Sak for the last couple of years. Coming before, of age. Yeah, yeah. and they, they came of age at the Asian Games and they won two back-to-back Suzuki Cups. And they show that they are ready to leave the region behind and they, they want to play the bigger boys. You, you, you mentioned, you know, Thailand's players coming of age. Chana Tips, obviously, 25. He's yes. heading into his prime. We've got, you know, Tiraton who's playing mm. in Japan. You know, we've got Tirasin also mm. playing in, in Japan. But they're, they're in their late 20s. You, you talk about Vietnam. You know, you mentioned youth yes. development. In their 23-man squad, only two players are above the age of 26. 14 of them are 23 years old or younger. Mm. Do you think they're going to be the force, you know, the major force in Southeast Asia for the next half a decade or, or even a whole decade? It's, for sure, it's going to be a fascinating battle between Vietnam and Thailand. Uh, no doubt about it. They are the two best countries in the region. But because Vietnam has the age on youth, I mean, since the bulk of them are under 23 or slightly over 23, we can see them serving their country for 
the next decade. And yeah, unfortunately for Thailand, uh, the likes of Tirasin and you know, Tiraton, they are reaching 30 soon. So we could see it, a changing of the gut in Southeast Asia. But regardless, these two countries are still a few levels ahead of the rest in Southeast Asia. Yeah, and, and just very quickly, I know you, you mentioned there are lessons to be learned for Singapore football. You know, every time we, we, <laughs> we do a, a, a post-mortem, you know, every yeah. time we don't do well at Suzuki Cup, there's always pundits who say, oh, we are five years behind or yeah. we are whatever, you know, mm-hmm. how many years behind Thailand and, and the regional powerhouses. Yeah. Is there any hope for us to at least be competitive uh, within the next five years? I certainly hope so. I think there was some positive steps taken uh, slightly over a week ago when the FAS confirmed that they are closing down the National Football Academy or FFA now. You know? Yeah, uh, it used to be called NFA, yes. now it's FFA. Um, yeah. So previously in the past, they hoarded all the best young players in the country and you know kept them under FAS. But it kind of failed to work because uh, there was no competition for places. Mm. Uh, the players kind of, they just live in a bubble. They yeah. don't feel that they are, you know, like there's always uh, other players coming in to take their places. Yeah. The youngsters feel yeah, like they've made and, it already, right? And yeah. we suffered very badly in the last couple of years, uh, losing in so many age group matches, you know, losing to the likes of Laos, Cambodia and Mongolia, you know. And so uh, I'm glad that FAS has taken, has finally taken notice and you know, taking action. And I just hope there'll be more plans to be rolled out in a couple, in the com- coming weeks, now, elsewhere in the world of sport, our assistant sports editor Rohit Brishnath is in Melbourne for the Australian Open. Uh, how are you holding up there, Rohit? Yes, Azali. A bit hot here, but this place is just buzzing with activity and, you know, it's just full of adrenaline, full of excitement, full of stories and that's the place you want to be. Right, the, the big news over the weekend, the Federal Express is out. A 20-year-old Greek upstart got the better of him. Can you tell us more? Yeah, the Sissipas match with Federer is probably the highlight of this event because, you know, sometimes a new talent, they've got to announce themselves with a great match and a great occasion on a big court. And that's what Sissipas did. Uh, tall guy, got a beautiful all-round game, can do everything. I sort of called him a handsome hippie. And he took the game to Federer. I think the thing is, he, he didn't win because Federer played badly. I think he won the match. It's not that Federer lost the match. And that's always critical. So what was the mood in the arena like, you know, to see the defending champion and and one of the true greats of the sport, you know, sort of bow out from the competition? Yeah, I think the mood in the stadium at least was a bit mixed. I think it's a bit gloomy because they love Federer. I mean, they adore him. They probably want to adopt him and, you know, he's been here for so many years. And I think, you know, they they always want him to win because, well, he's a nice guy who plays beautiful tennis. But I think that they recognise that Sissipas is something special and had played a special match. And, you know, I think these crowds are are wise. Uh, They understand the game and uh, they embraced him. And now we are, we are moving into the quarterfinals now. You know, what are you looking forward to most uh, in the next week of action and, and ahead of the final? Well, what I'm looking forward to is, you know, just this continued generational battle that is going on at this Open. And, and it's fascinating. It's the young guys trying to assert themselves and the older guys. I mean, Nadal is still there um, as I speak and so is Djokovic. And, you know, they're still among the greatest players of the game ever and they're not going to see that turf so easily. But you have some some of the younger players like TFO, who's really exciting. And, of course, Sissipas, who I mentioned. And there's Osaka and, you know, on the other side. And there's Daniel Collins, who's making a move. So it's it's been a fascinating uh, Open. I think better than possibly any Open I've ever been to. And based on what you've seen so far, Rohit, if I had to put you on the spot, who do you think is going to be the men's singles champion and the women's singles champion? Hey, buddy, I'm not making any predictions because I'm just rubbish at them. But i tell you what I'd like to see. I would like to see a Sissipas-Djokovic final. 
and I don't know if they're going to get there. Nadal is playing brilliantly, and I would like to see on the other side a Quirova um, Serena final. I'd like to see that. It would be a beautiful, a free hitting match. But there are a lot of great players on either side, so let's see what happens. Thanks for that, Rohit. Good stuff. And on that note, there's the final whistle, bringing to a close a game of two halves. Thanks, Ming. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, do subscribe to A Game of Two Halves on Apple's podcast app or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it or give us a rating. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.